You're listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Time to listen to Funny Internet Podcast! You're just gonna make us listen to an ostrich getting hit in the balls again. No else likes listening to the Fan Holes Podcast. My man! The Pop Culture Podcast for the fans by the fans! Good show! Hey guys, welcome back to the Ginchiest Podcast, this side of the planet. You are listening to Fanholes Podcast, and we've got a very special show for you tonight. We are going to be discussing two very, very cool things. Starting off in the world of animation and television, we're going to be discussing a very, very funny show. It's called The Regular Show that airs on Cartoon Network. And then for the second half of the show, we're going to be delving into an area of independent comic books that bridge the gap between independent creators and kind of like the 50s Silver Age superhero type stuff. We're going to be talking about Madman from Michael Alred. So just to get started, this is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts for tonight. And joining me are my fellow fan holes. Why don't you give a shout out, guys? Hey, guys, this is Brian Breakdown and oh, no, bro. Hey, it's Mike, and you know who's also Mike? Man, man. <laughs> hey, this is Justin, but for this episode, you can call me Trash Boat. Nice. All right. So, of course, we're going to start off with the funny stuff first. We're going to start off with the regular show. This was actually suggested to us by our very own Brian. You know, he, he previously mentioned on the Adventure Time show that he, he kind of graduated from Adventure Time to regular show. And to be perfectly honest, I, I've only watched the first season and, and one other episode that Brian heavily recommended, which was hilarious. But I can totally see why he sort of made that graduation or, or jumped the gap or whatever you want to call it, because I've been, you know, every episode I've watched, you know, I've, I've been chuckling to myself and, and I've greatly enjoyed it. So I've, 
I'm glad for the recommendation. I mean, the basically the regular show is a, a cartoon that first started airing around, you know, 2010. It's created by a guy named J.G. Quintel, and it airs on Cartoon Network. And basically, it, the two main characters are some guys named Mordecai and Rigby. And basically, the, Mordecai is this blue jay bird, and Rigby is a raccoon. And the the basic premise is they are employees at kind of like this this park, this, I'm assuming, I don't know if it's a national park or what, it, probably not, because they don't look like they have that much money, but, you know, it's like some kind of, you know, they're basically groundskeepers with all these other, this various cast of characters at a park ground, and inevitably, kind of in the true fashion of any great funny sitcom, you know, there are problems that arise among this setting, and, you know, there's conflicts, and, you know, the humor kind of comes out of those conflicts, either whether it's between, you know, Mordecai and Rigby being two best friends at odds, or, you know, whether it's just kind of the conflict that's, you know, spurred from, you know, kind of weird elements coming into that kind of normal environment of the park ground, which, you know, I find is pretty relatable, actually. Yeah, I don't know. Do, do you want to kind of go into it a bit more, Brian, to, for all the other listeners? Um, like how you sort of discovered the show and, and what you like about it so much? Sure. I think you already sort of touched on one of the reasons I really like it. I think it's really interesting because a lot of the problems are like real world, like simple problems, and a lot of them are like even mundane problems. So it's usually when they start trying to tackle that problem, when it starts getting crazy, whether, you know, it's something magical or time travel or science fiction or whatever. It just it just takes like a normal everyday problem and then they, you know, push it to the extreme and all this crazy yeah. funny stuff ends up happening. I don't remember how I actually found out about the show or started watching it. Probably most likely just just watching it, you know, Cartoon Network and, hey, this weird show came on and I'd, I'd start watching it. But another thing I really do love about the show is like the voices and like a lot of the a lot of the things they do. Like I think J uh, J G Quintel has like an awesome awesome like voice for Mordecai, and I just love the way they talk. Hearing them explain like some of the the language and some of the phrases they use on the show, I guess like basically most of it was just from college. Like a lot of the voice actors too are, are some of his college buddies, but like they used to sit around and just be like whoa and yeah yeah, and so they. <laughs> they just took they just took all these weird slangs and just threw it in the show and it just works like so well. But yeah, I just I, I, that reminds me of the stuff where yeah yeah all those kind of little uh, you know specific quirks to the show or whatever. Like it reminds me of the episode where they're like cake, yeah, you know. They're just the whole thing is just about what whatever it is that they're into, but their kind of excitement and like. You know, one of my, uh, I mean, I've only watched the first season, but I, I loved, I know you asked me after I watched the, the Geese episode that you recommended, which was hilarious. You said, well, what else did you like? And I just like, I love the punchies thing. Right? <laughs> just like, it's like, I don't want to play punchies. It's like, come on, man, play punchies, dude. You know, and it's like, I don't want to play punchies. You know, I, I, it, that, that was just hilarious. Cause like, you know, I was like, when, when I'm watching it, and as everybody knows, it's no big secret that, uh, I suck at fighting games and Mike trounces me all the time. So to me, it was like, I was clearly the, the, you know, the, the Rigby, you know, and, and not the Mordecai in that video I was game situation. Totally, I was you know? thinking the exact opposite. I was like, man, I'm always the Mordecai in that situation where I have to finally, like, lose just to, like, keep them, like, be, be my... Placated. 
Yeah, to keep them, like, to keep their friendship, I have to, like, take a dive. See, so we're, we're obviously on the same page. Did so. you ever see the Jinx episode, Derek? Uh, I don't know. Is that in the first season? Or? Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, okay. I think the name of the episode is Jinx. But anyways, like, uh, it's kind of funny because even when I go to, like, uh, see comedy movies or whatever in the theater, watch TV shows, like, it's very rare that I'll actually laugh out loud. But one thing that always gets me is, like, Rigby getting hit and, like, the reaction shot where he's either, he's either like, thrown into the wall and then falls to the ground. Or sometimes he's, like, laying on the ground and just come up and, like, nail him right in the back. And, like, his animation model just, like, completely folds into, like, a U or something. He's just like, ugh. But anyways, that, that episode's all about, you know, they, they each say a word at the same time. So Mordecai's like, jinx, dude, you're jinxed. And then so the whole episode is, like, Rigby trying to get unjinxed and, like, inevitably talking and out of the blue just Mordecai like nailing him over and over so uh, I always get a kick out of that one just from seeing uh, Rigby get hit so much As in that in that punchies episode the thing that made me crack up the most was like that montage of Rigby getting punched and then the final one it shows him getting like airlifted away by a helicopter <laughs> <on> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But yeah, even in that, I mean, when, when it gets fantastical, it sort of, it, it definitely builds up to that point. Like, I guess I can see why that would sort of necessitate a graduation point. Like, because I, I did find, like, Adventure Time is sort of fantastical all the time, or at least you, you kind of don't have a grounded sense when you're watching that show. I mean, yeah, Finn's a human and Jake's a dog, but it's like, I don't know any stretchy fucking dogs that do all that shit that Jake does. And I'm kind of like, well... Finn seems to be, like, the only human being in that world, so I don't know that I, you know, like, there's that sense that you maybe you don't relate to them as much, and even though it's like, oh, you know, people might be saying, well, how can you relate to a blue jay bird or whatever, or, you know, how how can you relate to, uh, what do you call it, uh, <laughs> I can't even remember. The gumball? Yeah, like a gumball machine. Or a lollipop. Or, or a lollipop, <laughs> or like, what is pop supposed to be, like a light bulb? Pops, pops a lollipop. If you like, hands anyone's money, like he opens yeah, yeah. his wallet and he's like, "Here's two butterscotches," and he like gives them like lollipops as payment. So he's some kind yeah, yeah, of like, like, creature. like there was that. There, I watched the episode with uh, what is it, uh, Rigby's brother? You know, he's like, "Give me some sugar and all that stuff." But uh, there's that funny line where he's like, "You do not pay the federal government taxes with lollipops." You know, and he's all mad at him and stuff. Like it's really funny because I'm like, I didn't even make that connection. I'm stupid. Pops is a fucking lollipop. Did anybody else feel like creeped out when the fucking unicorns like tied up? What's the their boss's name Vincent. with the gumball? Vincent. Vincent. Like when they tie up Vincent in the closet and then they eat his gumballs. I was like, <laughs> I felt so fucking bad. For, I was like, you totally violent. You ate his fucking gumballs. Like, what the fuck's wrong with there, you, dude? The thing that creeped me out is like they're they're playing some kind of video game. I can't remember what happens, but, like, the video game characters start making out, and they're just, like, lagging their tongues back and forth. And I was just like, oh, man, how did this get on TV? Like, that's <laughs> creepy. <laughs> I think that's the episode where Rigby's taken – oh, crap, now I can't think of her name. What's the the girl bird's name? Oh, um, um – Margaret. Margaret. Margaret, yeah, it's pathetic, I can think of it. But anyways, like, Rigby ends up asking Margaret out to a date because Mordecai yeah. won't go to the movie with him. But yeah, the, the video, like, everything keeps, like, pissing off Mordecai because it's all date-related, and then in the video game, they're, like, making out, ah, la, 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 like, right in front of him. 
I wanted to ask, yeah, because, like, I've been watching them online and stuff, and, like, they've been, like, swearing and stuff. Like, when, are the, like, the DVDs, like, uncut or something? Or, like, is this stuff, like, airing, like, at, on Adult Swim or something? Because, like, one of them said, like, pissed off and stuff. And, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like, could... or, or they say, like, stuff sucks, or, you know, they yeah. say, like, a little. I always had to pre screen it before I watch with my daughter to try to skip most of the, those episodes. But, anyways, the show just airs on Cartoon Network. It's not on Adult Swim or anything, but definitely, like, the first two seasons, especially, had more of an adult flavor. And then when it got really popular, Cartoon Network was kind of restrained them a little bit more, and we're like, hey, you know, this is getting really popular. A lot of people are watching it. You guys need to rein it in a little bit. But yeah, in the, f- the first seasons, they say a lot of that stuff, and always like, oh man, this sucks. And it's like, oh, maybe Sam shouldn't watch this. So. Almost, it must be like Robot Chicken, too. I bet you they can still get away with rerunning the same episodes, but they just probably bleep out pissed off or, or whatever it is like they do. Because I know when, when I watch the robot chicken stuff on DVD, it's like they straight up say, I'm going to fuck you in the ass, you know, but then like when you watch it on Cartoon Network, it's like, I'm going to beep you in the beep, you know, or whatever, and you're just like, oh, okay. What? You're the one who threw me too hard, you hole. Don't call me a hole, you're the hole. I, I was just curious, because I was like, hey, whoa, like they said pissed off. Like I was like, I, wa- I wondered if it, it, it either aired at a later time at one point, or maybe like the DVDs are kind of like, maybe I'm watching the DVD version and it was like uncut or something. You pissed me off. I know I noticed, like, in the first two seasons, like, sometimes Mordecai and Rigby would be like, dude, what the H? Or, like, I think one time they did say, like, dude, what the F? And I was like, did he really just say, like, what the F? (laughs) Well, like, I I had only watched the show sporadically, like, before this, but, like, Justin and Brian, like, gave me, like, a list of episodes I had to watch and stuff. And, like, they were all pretty hilarious and stuff. And I think I, Derek mentioned it, so I guess I might as well, like, go, go into it. I guess we can talk about some more, like, favorite episodes. But, yeah, I really liked, like, the episode that introduced, like, the baby ducks. And then when they come back for, like, the, the geese episode. Like, because, like, like, like Derek said, like, there's a lot of stuff where, like, I'm kind of like, even though it's, like, a, a, like, sort of fantastical bent to it, like, I'm like, man, I can really relate to that. Because... Like, the geese episode, I'm like, man, yeah, like, geese are, like, vicious. Like, <laughs> like I've yeah, exactly. Attacked, I've been attacked by geese, like, in parks before, and I'm like, man, that is so true. It's like I remember when, when I was, uh, you know, I, I don't remember this too much because I was probably just a little kid, but, you know, there there was some instance in my young, like, young Derek in his youth, you just imagine me as, like, in a diaper or something with no clothes at, like, the park, and, you know, some, some geese was going to try to nip off my, my wiener or something like that, <laughs> and I remember my dad had to just grab the geese by the neck and be like, get the fuck out of here, like, you know, what are you doing, you know, that kind of thing, so, yeah, I... I to me, I just I laugh because I'm like, yeah, geese are fucking assholes, you know. So. I also I also laughed like in the the baby ducks episode that first introduced them. Like I also laughed where like they call and like like it's uh it's the mom and they're like, oh, you found my babies and like of course I'm thinking like, oh, it must be like the baby duck's owner or something. But no, she's just like a real actual fucking duck. So I was like. Oh. <laughs> Well, that that only makes sense, but like it's just funny stuff like that that you wouldn't think is like, like it's kind of like playing with your like like expectations almost. 
maybe I just laugh at violent stuff too much, but I like when they take the baby ducks to the animal shelter and try to dump them off. And then there's that little puppy dog sitting there, and it, it like, walks up and sniffs them, and they just, like, karate chop him in the face. It's like, like, it's, like, shaking in the corner, like, the rest of the scene. Like, even when, when the, the dude at the animal rescue shelter is, like, talking, you still see the dog in the background, like, with his head down, shaking. And then they're like, hey, your ducks are violent. You need to get them out of it here. And they're like, what? They're not violent. They're just cool. And then the ducks immediately go up, like, karate chop a table. The snake spills down, and they karate chop the snake to death. And it's just like, we better go. <laughs> the snake was awesome, yeah. Yeah, I like how they start off, like, being annoyed by the ducks. And then they're like, man, like, these ducks are awesome. Like, And then, like, of course, yeah, like, the full-grown geese episode. It, I love the friggin' geese, like, turns out to have, like, this, like, James Earl Jones voice or whatever, where they're like, we claim this park as our own. And they, like, combine <laughs> into a giant robot and stuff. That was hilarious. And then the ducks can combine into a giant, like, duck man and stuff. Yeah, that was pretty rad. I enjoyed that. That that, that I think that, to me, like, sold me, because my my experience with the regular show was... A buddy of mine who was working on a project that I did a couple of voiceovers for, you know, I guess he was like, oh, I think I think these guys ripped me off. He's like, watch this show for me real quick. And, like, I think I watched a couple episodes, like maybe episode one and episode two or whatever. But I was a little confused. But I was like, no, I, I, I go. I was like, I... I think the only thing the two shows really had in common were anthropomorphic animals, you know, with, you know, they were personified. And I said, nah, don't sweat it. Like, you know, I, I don't think anybody tried to, you know, rip you off or anything like that. But when I watched that first episode, I was a little confused because I don't, I don't know that they ever mentioned their names in the first episode. Like, so I was kind of like a little sort of, you know, th- that first episode didn't like sell me to keep watching the show it was like i was like i was just doing a favor for a buddy and watching a couple shows and then i was like ah you know no it's it's not the same and then i kind of forgot about it but when we were going to talk about this on the podcast i was like okay yeah i'll watch some more shows like what what are the recommendations and the you know the first thing he's like oh you got to watch the thing with the geese so i'm like man he's really serious about this so i'm gonna watch the thing with the geese and man like that just like, that whole thing just cracked me up. Like, the geese, like, these little tufts in the park, and they're <laughs> punching people and knocking over trash cans and doing all this stupid-ass shit. And even, even like, I guess, you know, maybe that doesn't necessarily play with my expectations because I think geese are assholes, too, but that's part of the funny part of it. But even even the episode with the unicorns, I mean, that, that might play with your expectations, <laughs> but those guys are assholes, too, where it's like, you know, and it's kind of funny because it's like, you know, you, you get into this whole thing where, you know, I guess, you know, all friends kind of have that, they go through that period where, you know, you're really close friends with somebody, but then they're into a girl and they want to spend all their time with that girl or and you feel like you don't, get enough bro time or what, like in the, you know, like in the show. So there's some things that are very relatable, you know, but then at the same time, it's like, you know, of course there, there are tons of guy friends that are just kind of, you know, they're, they're fun to hang out with, but obviously they don't really care about you and they're more into partying and messing shit up and doing stupid shit. And that's kind of what the unicorns were representing in this whole, you know, bros, 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 bros. <laughs> 
you know, kind of shit. There's, there's lots of funny things in it where, you know, I'll flash back to it. You know, I was, I was driving with my dad one morning and, and, you know, I had watched a couple of the episodes and he was talking about, you know, we were talking about our coffee maker and we like our new coffee maker and different things about, you know, oh, you know, we don't have to buy as much coffee anymore, like ground coffee, because, you know, we've got these little pre-made, you know, Keurig, like, cups or whatever, and you stick it in the coffee maker, and it just sh- shoots out the coffee. It's like a freaking replicator or something. It's awesome. And you can make tea the same way, but I was just talking about coffee, and all I could think of was coffee, 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 you know, and stuff like that. And I had to explain to him, like, the whole episode, because I'm sitting there like a Nimrod going, like, coffee, coffee, and he's like, what, what are you talking <laughs> about? And I'm just like, well, there's this episode, and they have to clean up the park, and they want to, you know, buy these tickets, and they're too expensive, and I go through the whole story about, you know, they want to earn extra money with overtime, but the only way they can do overtime is to stay up and drink coffee, and then all of a sudden, this Japanese guy comes out with this giant coffee bean and a diaper, and they're like, coffee, coffee, we make you deal, you drink coffee, you know, and like, and basically, you know, it was like one of those things that I could explain it to him, and he pretty much understood it, you know what I mean, so it was like, it was funny to him too, because it was like, you know, just a fucking coffee <laughs> bean, you know, running around in a diaper going, coffee, coffee, and like, that kind of stuff, just, I don't know why, it's just like random things that'll make you continuously chuckle it's Mm -hmm. not like you're just gonna laugh about it like the one time you see it and then forget about it it's like it's like these little triggers of humor you know that you sort of store up and save for later and then you know you kind of come back to it where you're like oh dude bros and coffee coffee and uh uh-huh you know and thing whatever it is these kind of little nuances and quirks that i don't know it's it's like you're building up some some humoristic sense memory when you watch the show I think the episode that kind of made me like like every time it like it kept the longer it kept going on the more I laughed at it was the one where like they where the uh what do you call it? a muscle man and high five ghosts uh, become like their supervisors and they're like oh these guys are okay except for the fact that like muscle man doesn't like get how to do like your mom jokes and stuff <laughs> and like you know the whole episode is <laughs> just doing like you know who else you know rocks my mom <laughs> keep going through the whole episode like him doing that and they're like man he just doesn't get it but it's so funny and it's like they don't want to like he's so nice to them that they don't want to bring it up so i like i i feel like i've been in that situation before you know who likes special entertainment like that my mom well, I, I like the part where, like, they're, they're calling the, the Rigby's brother skips to do the taxes before they get to that point. They're like, okay, we're going to be audited. This is, like, super serious. You know, does anybody know anybody who can help us out with this audit? And he's like, and he turns to him, he's like, before you even say it, like, if you fucking say, like, your mom, you are fired. And like he stands there for a minute and he thinks about it. He's like, My mom and he's like, That's it, you're fucking fired and he's like, It was so worth it and fucking walks off. It's like the funniest shit. I like I like how in that like where where he's like he, he makes he does the joke for like the burrito guy and the bur- he's like shaking the burrito truck and the, <laughs> the burrito guy's like, dude, that's awesome like free burritos and like more than like, like he's not funny i don't get it like 
the other I forgot to mention the other line about from the geese episode I liked was when the geese giant geese robot was like destroying their house and he was like I will now destroy your most prized possession this low definition television <laughs> which is honestly kind of a blessing in disguise yeah I'm actually doing you a favor <laughs> <laughs> who's um I watched the episode, but I didn't actually like figure out who the guy was. Um, who's like the character, like the the like guy who steals people's souls and stuff? Like he's got like a skull face almost. Yeah, I think it's just death. Like he's in a number of episodes. Oh, okay, because I, I like that episode where they had to babysit his like <laughs> <laughs> and his son was voiced by Michael Dorn. Yeah. So it's, like, yeah. And they're trying to get him to go to bed. And he was like, I will not go to bed. I want cookies. <laughs> I also like, like a book. Sugar. And then they get him some little kitty book. He's like, no, not that book. This book. And it has like an evil face on it and stuff. And it's like talking. Like demon voices. I also prefer sugar. And he like eats a whole bag of sugar. <laughs> that 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 was one of the first episodes that, that I watched. And like I remember like what what uh, got me laughing most was when they go to the fridge. They like open up the fridge, and they have like they're like moving past all the food trying to get food for the baby. But then like they see like spaghetti with eyeballs and all this weird gross crap in it. But they don't say anything. They just keep moving it. And then they get to like almond milk, and they're like, oh, almond milk, gross. <laughs> like that's the thing that grosses them out the most in Death's Bridge. <laughs> that was a very good episode. We tried it the nice way. Now we do it the Skips way. Speaking of famous voices, Mark Hamill Skips. That that's pretty cool because he he also you know it seems like they do the regular you know SAG thing where they have to do like you know basically they can use him for two or three voices. So I remember he was one of the two astronauts in the, the Liars episode, where huh? they're just trying to outlie each other, and he's like, hey, uh, welcome to the new, uh, you know, astronaut facility, you know, and he's doing his, you know, kind of old man, you know, Mark Hamill voice or whatever, but yeah, it's it's fun to, uh, you know, listen to him or, or whoever else is, you know, on the show, like, that you can, you know, sort of recognize. Mm-hmm. I also really liked the episode where Rigby stole uh, Benson's fortune, so like he Benson like has bad luck for the entire episode, and they're like, I just he was like, cards is the one thing I still have good luck in, and he goes into the room and like two seconds pass, and he comes back out, and he was like, well, I just lost the the part, and, and then like he's like, no, dude, he, that was a warlock, you lost the part too, and then like the guy turns into this giant and like starts sucking the park up and stuff. And then, like, uh, like Benson, I forgot what happens, but Benson gets, like, sucked up into the, like, vacuum, and, like, Rigby and Mordecai are like, dude, we gotta get up there, but how? And some guy, like, random guy just drives up with a car and goes, oh my god, like, you guys can have this car, and he just runs away. A bunch of stuff from that episode, like, cracked me up, too. Wait, wait, we suck. And if you're us, doesn't that mean you suck, too? (laughs) Did anybody else get, like, a turn, like, Bill and Ted's bogus journey on its vibe or excellent adventure on its vibe with the whole like future Rigby and Mordecai episode, like where they're trying to start the band. <laughs> a little 
it. Because that's, that's like the first thing I thought of was I was like, oh, this is like Bill and Ted, you know, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it kind of turned it all on its head with the whole, it turned into like Millie Vanilli instead of Bill and Ted, with the whole <laughs> lip syncing thing. So Yeah, I mean, the show's rife with pop culture references and stuff. I mean, even sometimes whole episodes are built around like laser disc players and stuff like that. So uh, okay. it's kind of okay. humorous cool. to, to, yeah, yeah. to see all the homages in it. Or the old power yeah. from Nintendo. Like I like that episode where they have like, yeah they have that competition. They get the they call it what do they call it the Max or something. And uh, Mordecai picks Skips to play with him instead because he's like Rigby. I'm sorry, but like, you're terrible at video games. I'm going with Skips. And at the very end, he like changes his mind. He's like, come on, Rigby, and they win. So they get this thing that's basically the power glove. And at the end of the episode, like Rigby's trying it out. He's like trying to control some like. A car video game. He's like, man, this thing's terrible. This sucks. <laughs> I like just like the real power. Glove. Yeah, just like the real power glove. <laughs> now you're playing with power. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, like, I think I owe my my appreciation for the show to Brian because I can remember like me and Brian talking about Adventure Time, and I was like, man, Adventure Time's great. And Brian was like, yeah, it's pretty good, but regular show's better. And I was like, no way, no way it can be better. And I like, <laughs> I sat down and watched the first season on Netflix, and I was like, Brian was right. Like, this is like, this is really good. Like, regular show is something, when I'm watching it, like, when I watch something, I like to, like, eat, you know, supper or have a snack or something. I can't eat anything when I'm watching regular show because it ends up, like, I end up spitting it out. And <laughs> Because <laughs> they should have a choking yeah. warning on the DVD disc. <laughs> Do not you eat food. May, you you may snort your cheese whiz out. You know. <laughs> I like. I also liked. Uh, I also liked Dan related to the episode where uh, Mordecai has to like impress his girlfriend's father. Like, and he goes to the yes. <laughs> That's like, the one I wanted to recommend for you guys, but I couldn't remember the name of it. Yeah, I think it's just called like barbecue or family barbecue or something. But it's like it's like the 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 girl, whatever. She's like what a like Robin or something. Like her, her father's like a human being, like and he's yeah. like this big like macho guy, and he's like you know he's like uh, he's like Jesse Ventura or something. Exactly. Like, I don't know like, if it works his voice, but that's exactly who you reminded me of too. <laughs> he's like he's like, do you want to go in the pool, Mordecai? And he's like. Oh yeah, but I didn't bring a bathing suit. Well, you can borrow one of mine, and it's like this little speedo. And Mordecai's <laughs> like, I can't wear this. And he's like, Why are you not a real man? Like, are you ashamed, are you ashamed of your body? <laughs> <laughs> and then like they have a cannonball contest, and like he gets up in the news copter to do a cannonball, and he was like, Come on, like keep taking it up, and then like. Then they they end up like falling from the news helicopter and like he finally like earns the guy's respect because he like jumped out with a parachute to save him and like he finally gets like he wanted to ha- give him a handshake and he finally like handshakes him and like they br- they land and break every bone in their body and the doctor's like man if that handshake hadn't broken their fall they'd be dead like <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a classic episode now. How in the H are we going to fix this S? Don't look at our crotches while we synchronize our watches. Cool. Well, it sounds like we've got a overwhelming uh, flourish of positivity on the regular show. I'm just curious. I know, Brian, you were mentioning it to me before. 
you want to give us the lowdown on the whole Blu-ray scoop if people want to like check this out like in in other formats like because I it sounded like you were more familiar with the status of it than I was. Yeah, basically they're currently in production of season five. I think they're halfway through the season, but unfortunately all that's been released so far on Blu-ray is season one and two. But it does come together. They did kind of the bullcrap thing where they you know made those collection discs where you get random episodes from like three or four right, seasons. Right. So I managed to to stay away from those long enough that the season set actually did come out. And, um, I don't know, it's nice watching on Blu-ray, obviously, and my daughter's a huge, huge fan of the show now. And, like, even my two-year-old son will come in when we're watching it, and it's such a big kick to be watching the show and then see both of your kids throw up their hand and go, Oh! Like, <laughs> 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 probably 20 different words. He'll throw up his hand and be like, Oh! It's just that's, so cute. That's priceless. Yes. That's, that's awesome. Hmm, hmm, cool. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Cake. That's awesome. Cool. All right. Yeah, it kind of sounds like it's got the whole release format of the Adventure Time stuff, too, because they had all those kind of, like, little, you know, best of discettes and, and crap like that. And now it's like, I think, season three is just getting released on Blu-ray. So, you know... Probably by the time this airs, you know, we'll put up whatever is available there out on the spindle for everybody to check it out. And like, you know, Justin was saying he checked it out on Netflix and it's also airing on Cartoon Network. So, yeah, we we obviously we can't recommend this enough. All we're doing is telling funny stories about the show and laughing about it. So, you know, you, you may want to check those episodes out yourself and, and get a lot of laughs. At first, I created this character named Frank Einstein, kind of like a modern Frankenstein's monster. A guy that is brought back to life, has no memory of his previous existence. He's all scarred, plate in his head, stitches everywhere. The process that brought him back to life has made him a little stronger, a little faster. But he also has fighting skills that he's not sure why. And as the story progresses, we find out that he was a, a trained agent in his previous existence. So he has a lot of conflicts about philosophies and what makes a, a person a good person. And so there's a lot of existentialism in it. But at the same time, on the surface, it's always an adventure comic. But yeah, we'll, we'll move on to the next topic, which is going to be in the realm of comic books. It's going to be the independent comic book that is, is a pretty... Uh, it's kind of like the missing link, I guess, you know, like if you're talking about comics where it, it, it's got its start as an independent comic book and it's done by an independent creator outside of Marvel and DC, but it also has a lot of kind of super heroic elements and, and kind of some, some retro classic, you know, Silver Age-ish kind of elements as well. So it kind of, it kind of you know, I don't know treads the gap between, you know, independent comic and superhero comic, and this is Mike Allred's Madman. So I know a lot of the guys on the show, you know, have never read the series before. I was first introduced to it around 1994 when the series started up at Dark Horse. There were some previous miniseries, which is what some of the guys have read tonight, from Tundra Publishing. So there were like two previous miniseries of Madman. And then, of course, he, he actually, the, the character, Frank Einstein, actually was in a couple other different comics, like one-shots and miniseries before that. But, you know, for the guys that were interested in kind of getting exposed to Madman, I just had them read The Oddity, Aud uh, The Oddity, God, I can't even say it, The Oddity, Odyssey. It's like a tongue twister. You've got to be like, oddity, odyssey, oddity, odyssey. That's what we used to do in acting. You had to 
do these tongue twisters where you're like, you love New York, you need New York, you love unique, unique New York. So basically, if you want a new tongue twister actors, try Oddity Odyssey, because it's one of those. You can't say it right on the first try. But yeah, so so they read the Oddity Odyssey and then the other Tundra three-issue miniseries. We're going to probably focus on those, but I mean, as far as my experience with it, you know, that that Dark Horse series was released in 1994, so it's kind of in the heyday of 90s comics, the speculator boom, the kind of event boom, if you will. And for me, you know, it's like, oh, Superman died, Batman's back was broken, Green Lantern was fucking crazy, like, all these things were happening to, like, your favorite comic book characters, you know, Spider-Man was a fucking clown, and, you know, there's, there's all this kind of stuff was going on, and, and it really did seem like everything was kind of doom and gloom, and everything was, was gritty and edgy and hardcore, no matter where you looked, and for me, there was just this book where it was... It was kind of just a throwback, but it was so refreshing in a sea of all that kind of angsty event, you know, seriousness. You know, you just had this book that was kind of a kind of bright light in a dim room where you just kind of said, hey, what is this? And, you know, as far as people, I I know there's a lot of people out there who see Mag Alred's work on things like, you know, X-Force or Ecstatics or even like, you know, more recently, you know, the new FF book. And they're always kind of like, I don't like that guy's art. He's weird. Blah, blah. And I'm just kind of like, I don't really get it. Like, I, I think he's one of those classic you know, great comic book artists, and and I I guess maybe he was always sold to me because he he reached out to people, you know, like Jack Kirby and Frank Miller and different guys that he knew in the industry to do pinups of Madman, and I always thought he was a great artist. I don't know if I have to defend him to anybody, but sometimes I I read comments like that, and I'm just kind of like, what the fuck's wrong with you? It's Mike Allred. He's awesome. Like, I, I don't really get it. But, yeah, I mean, I I think the series is great. It follows a character. You know, I guess, yeah, the character is Madman, but, you know, he's he's normally known as Frank Einstein. And that name basically comes from the fact that he was a John Doe and he was in a car accident. And then a scientist named Dr. Bofford brought him back to life, kind of like Frankenstein. So that's partly where the Frank Einstein name comes from. But according to the, the lore and the backstory, the doctor named him Frank after his hero, Frank Sinatra, and named him Einstein after his other hero, Albert Einstein. And so that was kind of a placeholder for him. And, you know, I guess in some ways, even though it's very Silver Age and very throwback, kind of a simpler type of of comic book story in a way. It's also very introspective and, you know, deals with a lot of kind of metaphysical stuff and questions about God and the universe and, you know, because of the nature of his his kind of quote-unquote superpowers where he can, you know, he can touch you, he can shake your hand, but kind of get like a mental imprint, an image. He's kind of like a... uh, a hypersensitive counselor Troy, I guess, by touch, you know, like if he, if he was to, you know, shake your hand, he would know whether you're a nice person or a scum bucket, that kind of thing. And also as far as, I guess, being kind of a mystery, you know, like you, you really don't know all of his secrets right up front, you know, you're not, you have sort of an origin story and, and how he came to be dressed up as a superhero because as a kid, he was fascinated with this superhero named Mr. Excitement. And so 
part of his, I guess, trying to get over his, his amnesia with his past and figure out who he is, since I guess one of his earliest memories was his dad giving him the, these Mr. Excitement comics, he starts wearing this outfit, you know, which would become the signature Madman outfit with the exclamation bolt on his chest. And basically, at that point, you know, it's it's kind of a sense memory thing where, you know, the scientists are encouraging him to explore this because maybe it'll help him remember some other stuff about his past. He, he meets a various cast of characters, but I guess the, the most important one, I guess, would be like his love interest, Joe, who's like this little redhead who likes to say Ginchy a lot. She's kind of like the, the Mary Jane or the Lois Lane, you know, to his uh, Superman or Spider-Man type thing. And the Dark Horse series ran for about 20 issues. And then I, I kind of, it, it's weird because for the first like 10 or 11 issues, that's when I was basically reading that. And it eventually kind of petered out like somewhere towards the end of the 90s. Like around 1997 was when the Superman Madman Hullabaloo three-issue miniseries came out. And so after that, there was kind of like a big gap in between Madman issue releases. Because if you look at like issue number 11, that probably came out in 96. And then the Madman, uh, Superman Madman Hullabaloo came out during 1997. And then there's not any Madman comics again until 1989. So issue 11 to issue 12, there's like a two, three-year gap for uh, Madman comics. And eventually that Dark Horse series does wrap up with issue 20. And then there's other different miniseries and ongoing series from like Image Comics, which I'm not super familiar with. But I think in revisiting this for the podcast, I'd like to try and, you know, check out all of them. Because I do really enjoy Mike Allred's work. But I'm going to turn it over to some of the other guys, because I know I've been talking nonstop, because I love me some Madman. So I know Justin was the one who was the most eager to sort of be introduced into the world of Madman. So I'm kind of curious as to, you know, what his take and thoughts were on what he's read. And I don't know if he's gone above and beyond what we had talked about reading, or if he's just read the, the first couple miniseries and what his thoughts are on it. But I'm opening up the floor, and I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are, my man. Yeah, I just read the uh, the Oddity Odyssey, and then there was three issues from uh, Tundra Comics. So I didn't I didn't have a chance to go above and beyond, but like I liked it. And this is one of those comic series that like when I had a subscription to Wizard, which I had for like it felt like a million years, you know, when like when I was a kid. But it's one of those comics that Wizard was always telling me to read. It's like you need to read Madman. I was like, shut up, don't tell me what to read. I'm going to read about Spider Man, <laughs> uh, Mark Wade's like Captain America, but. You know, I, I guess like one of the good things about this podcast is like we we influence each other and we expose each other to things we probably wouldn't have read. And uh, a while back, I, I sat down and read the Ecstatics from you know the, uh, Derek previously mentioned, and I really liked that. Like I liked Mike Aldred's art anyway. So like when I see people complaining about like oh he's not right for Silver Surfer, I'm like man shut up like he's great for Silver Surfer. I am the Silver Surfer, and I am not here to fight. This is not my battle. Look around you. Doesn't it make your blood pound? They are all our battles. But like, I, I read Ecstatics. I thought it was really great. Like, it, if you haven't read it, you, you definitely need to read it. So like, we we'd been talking about reading Mad Men for the podcast, and I was pretty excited to read it, and I did like it. And it's like Derek says, it, it's kind of a mix of like Silver Age storytelling, but I see a lot of like fifties and sixties like B movie. Kind of yeah. references like yeah. they even there's even a scene where they're at a old drive-in and on the marquee you see like 
you know, the letters are falling off, but you can clearly clearly see it says, like, you know, the brain that wouldn't die and a few other movies. And I was like, you know, I was reading it, and I was like, you know, this does feel like kind of like a B movie because it's like, you know, they'll be in one location for a while, and then it's all of a sudden, like, it, it jumps to some other weird location, like they're underground or something. I was like, that's that's kind of how a lot of those movies were made. They would just go to random places and film whatever because they didn't have the budget to do a lot of stuff. But, like, I liked it. It kind of... It kind of reminded me a little bit of The Flaming Carrot, but, like, whereas The Flaming Carrot is very, I don't know how to describe it. Flaming Carrot is very out there, man. Like, if, if you never read Flaming Carrot, you should, you should read that as well, but, like, Flaming Carrot is just completely bonkers sometimes. Sometimes I'm reading it and I'm cracking up, and sometimes I'm like, I, I don't know where this is going, <laughs> like were like weird aliens from outer space or like you know freaky hamsters doing weird stuff or whatever but like that's kind of the feeling i got it's like this out there kind of mix of like just crazy oddball adventures with like silver age comics old movies like i like the stuff where i can't remember if it was i think it was the first issue of the tundra series where like he's kind of like going around the city like doing stuff and i'm like this kind of has like you know uh, Ditko Spider-Man feel to it, and then he's yeah. going to like jump through the window, but he misses and hits the wall. And his girlfriend's like, "Man, what?" He, she's like, "Why can't you just come into the door like a normal person?" He's like, "Cause I want to be cool." And then, you know, they're kind of sneaking around, and he he doesn't want to meet her meet her dad, and then he has to like, you know, introduce himself and all this stuff. And I, I, yeah, I it's like, very very Captain Stacy, you know, yeah. meeting Peter Parker with Gwen type thing, and and they have a very sweet relationship. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's kind of nice. Like, I think, especially in in the same era I'm talking about where you've got, you know, I mean, you know, even though it's some stuff that I love where it's like Thor's, you know, banging the Enchantress and, you know, all kinds of crazy 90s stuff is going down. You know, you've got this kind of more, you know, pure kind of, you know, comic book, I guess, that kind of goes back to the roots. And even with the, the B-movie thing, I mean, he doesn't really fight like super villains yeah. per se, you know, it's, like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a random, it's a random robot yeah. or, or he meets aliens from other worlds or, you know, in, in the case of the, the second issue of the Tundra color miniseries that we're talking about, you know, he goes time traveling and he's, he's running around with dinosaurs and, and there's all kinds of like fun stuff like that where you're just like, it, he just uses it as a forum to, you know, kind of do whatever story, you know, strikes his fancy, you know, which is, is, you know, sometimes you can be awesome. I mean, what, I don't know, for me, I'm like, what kid doesn't like dinosaurs? <laughs> like, of course, that's like the coolest thing ever. And then you've got your, you know, sort of superhero character running around, you know, meeting dinosaurs. And by the end of it, you know, he's back in his own time and everything's hunky-dory. And it's not like it, it dramatically changed the space-time continuum, you know, Wolverine didn't fucking break the time frame, you know, it's like, it's just, it was a fun fucking story where he's jumping on, you know, uh, pteranodons flying away from uh, a B-movie robot who's shooting lasers, you know, and it, it was cool. I don't care anymore, and frankly, I'm disgusted that my good name is being used for this, this baloney... What about you, Mike? I mean, I know, I know you. You said you read some of this stuff, and I'm, I'm curious what your take on it is as well. Well, I'd actually never like read anything with Mike Alred's art up until like Future Foundation, like the recent like volume. But like, I've always known who he was. Like, and I've always known like how to recognize his art because it's like so distinct. 
And like, like I've never had a problem with it. Like I've always liked his art. Like I think it worked really well for Future Foundation. And you know, I think it it has a sort of like like almost yeah like Kirby esque like charm to it and stuff. And like I don't like yeah I I also poo poo on those people who like don't like say it's like you know crap or like simplistic or you know like I, I don't think everyone needs to have like 50 million lines on their face to denote when they're angry or whatever or you know just the, the detail in the right places you know yeah. basically as for madman itself like i i, I enjoyed it like it, it was kind of like 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 you said it was kind of like a, a it was weird, but it was it was a kind of like uh, a Ginchy kind of weird, you know. I guess like it was a neat kind of weird. Like I I almost felt like it was like like maybe like Joe Kelly got some inspiration for like his Deadpool like run from it. Like I don't yeah, know. I I think even in in that early black and white miniseries, like I I kind of looked at Madman and I was like, oh, you know, there there is those elements where he looks kind of like Madcap in certain panels to me, or or even. And like you're saying, like Deadpool or whatever. Yeah, just like his body language and the way like his the mask's eyes like emote and stuff. Yeah. yeah like I was kinda like, Yeah, this kinda reminds me of that. And like even like his relationship with Joe, like kind of like where he's kinda like he's very skittish around her and he doesn't want her like taking off his mask sometimes and he doesn't yeah, he doesn't want to meet her dad and stuff not like stuff like that, like it just kind of like was very reminiscent. It seemed like of Deadpool, so I was kind of wondering if this was sort of a precursor to like the way Deadpool would come to be portrayed. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Because uh, yeah, a couple of years later, that there would be that you know Kelly's Deadpool run. So so it's entirely possible. I mean, sometimes I don't even think about those connections, but I, I remember it being influential on me because I think I made I made up my own comic book character, but he was I, I'm not going to say he was a madman knockoff, but he was kind of a madman knockoff <laughs> and his name was Blackheart and so he he kind of had like the little playing card like the heart on his chest where it was like black or whatever, but he looked he looked very much like Madman, and you know, of course, I made it all grim and gritty in '90s Extreme, where like his fiance gets murdered in an alley, and like all kinds of heavy stuff with it, you know. And then I had all these crazy like cop characters and, and supervillains and stuff. But I, I just remember that being like super, super, you know, Madman being super, super fascinating to me, and you know, it influencing you know things that I you know, creatively did as well, you know, so I, I enjoyed it on that level. I was, know? I was going to say that guy, uh, Dr. Flem, like he kind of reminded me of like a competent rusty venture. Like I, of, I was <laughs> waiting, I was totally waiting for you to say that. Cause I was like sitting there like rereading like the comics. And then, and then when I got to the color issues, I go, I bet you Mike's going to say he looks like Dr. Venture. Cause, <laughs> cause he, he, he does have that, you know, he's, he's kind of got that beard and the, the red hair and everything. And, you know, he's not, he's not quite as, like you say, he's a competent version. He's not, he's not incompetent, I guess, to the degree there or, or kind of, I, I don't know that, that Rusty Venture is incompetent, or but he's, he's a, kind of careless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like he seems like a, a more, you know, like basically to put it in simplistic terms, because I, I don't feel like coming up with any explanation for it. In the Superman, Man, Man, Hullabaloo, his counterpart is Emil Hamilton. So, like, he's he's basically, you know, Madman's cool scientist friend who, you know, he's the one who creates the time machines and, and all these kind of super hyper-fast transports from, like, Snap City to... I can't remember where, where he 
hang the scientist hangs his hat or whatever, but it's like they, they've got this kind of cool little underground tube system where they can get to and fro the different cities like super fast and everything. Another thing that, that I was thinking about when reading this, and I'm, I'm kind of curious what you guys thought of it, but I, I know a lot of times in Wizard, like Justin had mentioned Wizard in the past, they would kind of do select panels for Madman and try to get people to read it. And one of the panels I always remembered, because it took me a while before I was able to read the Oddity Odyssey, but eventually that was released as a, a trade paperback, and, and then that's how I was able to read it, kind of around, you know, the same period I was getting into the Madman comics at Dark Horse, and I went, oh, this is this is kind of like classic Madman. And, and I noticed even back then, even though I'd say the original miniseries is a little more grim and gritty, I mean, you know, there was that panel that I, they always kind of tried to put in Wizard to sell you on it, where he eats the eyeball of a gangster, in one of those panels and and something like that you could take as like oh that's super grim and gritty like look at this guy he's eating mobster eyeballs or whatever but you know sort of out of context you know if you just see that panel that's all you see and it's kind of like even back then I think he was kind of fighting the grim and gritty of the 90s like even you know back when that came out because you know two panels later he's throwing up after he's done that, you know, so it's like, and, and it's the type of character where his internal monologue is, I can't say that F word, like, that just makes me feel funny, you know, like, so it's like, this is a character who, you know, loves his girlfriend and, and can't say the word fuck, you know what I mean, like, so it's just like, it, it just felt like a lot of that was kind of just a big, you know, F you to kind of the style of comics as they were becoming you know, more and more homogenized, you know, throughout the 90s. So in that sense, I just kind of, I enjoyed that. Like, to me, it was always a refreshing take on it, even even back in the black and white series, which I think is a little more serious. You know, it's a little more intellectual and heady and a little more, you know, has those grim kind of elements to it where, you know, the, the doctor you're talking about when he first meets him, you know, he's got to chop off his head because he's infected with this disease from the body down. And it's not until the miniseries resolves where it's like, oh, we'll just use, you know, your clone body that's now headless. Like, yay. You know, and everything's happy by the end of it. But, you know, it, you know, visually, you know, if you kind of took certain panels out of context, uh, you know, I'd say it's this fun you know, throw back to the Silver Age, and you're like, fuck you, it's not the Silver Age, like, he ate a guy's eyeball, and he chopped off a guy's head with an axe, you know, so there's that aspect to the original miniseries as well, I'm not sure if you guys had any reactions to that, like, I, so sometimes I was questioning, like, is it is it a good idea to have you guys start with those miniseries, or should I have had you read, like, the Dark Horse stuff, like, I don't, I don't know, like, hmm. it's tough. I I think the reason I resisted, like, independent comics for so long is, like, I can remember, like, leaping through a few of them, like, at conventions when I was a kid, and it's kind of like you said, they were grim and gritty to the extreme, like, super violent, super sexual, and, like, I mean, I was a kid, but, like, I still, like, wanted a good story, you know, like, that's what I wanted from comics, and I think that's one of the things that kind of turned me off of independent comics for so long is, like, I kind of, I guess that's what I thought they all were, like, if you were an independent comic book, that's what you had to push in order to, like, sell stuff. So I think that's, like, uh, this thing I had to, like, get out of my head, like, as I got older, you know, and that started. Yeah, yeah, I think, 
I, I think I felt similar to, like, obviously I checked out, I probably fell for all the wizard advertising. I don't know how I ended up checking out the Dark Horse series, just that I did. But yeah, it probably, like you're saying, it was advertising wizard every five minutes. So I checked it out and went, wow, this is great, you know, and I really liked it. So there were certain books where, you know, I think by that point I was keen enough you know, in my teens to like follow certain creators I liked if it was independent comics, you know, and you had the image boom. So you're like, I guess that kind of trained me as a kid where I'm like, oh, well, these guys jump ship from Marvel to image. And, you know, in another sense that, that I'm going off on all kinds of tangents, but that that was another thing where if you read these, like this is not like a Bendis comic book. It's not like three issues of, of the Madman miniseries takes you like two minutes yeah. to read. It takes you like, you know, you got to sit down and fucking read it. You know, it's <laughs> it's not it's not quite like some Alan Moore shit where you can bring it to the toilet with you. But you know what? You'll you'll at least take half the dump before you finish <laughs> reading a Madman comic. And it's not just going to be like a little pee in a trinkle or whatever, like with a Bendis comic, you know, like there's, there, there's some content to it. And in that sense, coming out of an age with all these kind of image comics where all they were, were splash pages and guys going, look at my abs, you know, I hit you, I hit you back, roar, you know, and then like half the comic was done. And that was your whole story, you know, like, this was kind of like, you're like, holy shit, like, I'm getting my money's worth. Like, there's all this story here, and there's all this intrigue and mystery and, and romance and kind of, you know, good feelings and bad feelings. And, you know, you kind of go through a, a gamut of different emotions, you know, when you when you look at the material. And, you know, I guess as opposed to maybe sort of a singular vision with some of the image comics and stuff like that. And and it's actually, you know, kind of interesting. And then I guess my tangent, that was my tangent. But I guess what I was going to say before was I kind of felt the same way about Vertigo comics where, you know, I used to be like, oh, well, I like DC and I like superheroes. And those Vertigo comics are for like old people or something or, you know, I, I don't know what I thought. It was just like I was just like, I, I don't want to read that Vertigo shit. Like, that's, you know, it's like, obviously, like, I was reading Swamp Thing, so I guess I was reading Vertigo before I even knew it, you know what I mean? But but I'd never considered Swamp Thing part of Vertigo. To me, that was all, you know, DC comics, like superheroes and whatever. And, and you know, when, when I think people, I think the stuff that I resisted the longest was, you know, people saying, oh, you got to read this Sandman or you got to read, uh, you know, Hellblazer or whatever it is. And that I don't think I, I read that until I was long out of college, you know, and I was able to sort of, you know, have a more open mind to to different styles and, you know, just kind of if, if you get kind of tired of whatever it is that you're used to, you know, you kind of go outside your comfort zone. And, you know, maybe to some people, Madman is outside their comfort zone. But for me, I, I just kind of thought of it as kind of classic, almost, you know, like you're saying, B-movie, 50s style, you know, storytelling, whether it's like Silver Age comics or, you know, kind of like, you know, 50s B-style, you know, movies. Yeah, I, I kind of felt the same way you did about Vertigo stuff, like growing up. I can, like, I actually read, like, Neil Gaiman novels before I read any Sandman. I, I was like, so after I read, like, Neverwhere, I was like, man, I should probably give this like Sandman stuff a try because I'd see it advertised all the time in Wizard, and kind of like you, I was just like, Vertigo is like for like, you know, people who like weird comics or like you know adults. Like, you know, I mean, I was like in middle school or something, so I was like, you know, I'm not like this is probably like above me, and I'm not gonna like, I'm not gonna like it for whatever reason. But like after reading Neverwhere, I was like, you know what, I'm gonna try some Sandman, and I kind of like. 
I guess that made me broaden my horizons a little bit, and I started reading, you know, Hellblazer and Sandman and uh, Names of Magic and all this stuff. Yeah, and and I think for me, of course, it does help that you know I am a big fan of Superman, and I was super happy that Madman teamed up with Superman instead of that other pointy-eared guy from uh, from DC Comics, you know, because. <laughs> At that point, it seemed like, you know, Judge Dredd and Predator and, you know, whatever else, that was the pointy-eared guy. And I was just like, cool, like, there's, you know, here's here's a dude who's like, we're going to have a classic kind of... And, and, and even in that regard, too, like, it was cool to read a Superman story that was kind of a throwback. Because at that point, everything was, you know, no matter what your thoughts are. I mean, I love a lot of different eras of Superman, and I'm not begrudging the post-crisis John Byrne, you know, Dan Jurgens' Death of Superman era, I read all that as well. But while that was going on, it's like there were these kind of snide little comments about, oh, you know, Superman, are you trying out a new look again? Because, you know, by that point, you had had long-haired hippie Superman and the electric red and blue Superman and all these kind of, you know, goofy-ass looks for Superman that weren't Superman. And then you had this Superman Madman hullabaloo where you're like, ah, good, a classic kind of, you know straight-up Superman, almost Mort Weisinger-era Superman story where, you know, he meets up with Madman through this kind of crazy hijinks where they, they're they both, I guess, doctors are using these dimensional tools, and then it's like Frank almost swaps bodies with Superman, and then Superman's powers get, like, dispersed all over the two universes. So it's like Frank has some of his powers and Superman's kind of powered down and is more like Madman than Superman. And then, you know, they they basically have to go across, you know, both Metropolis and Snap City and kind of collect all of Superman's various like superpowers because it's like, you know, there's a little girl at the playground like tossing boys that are like peeping her dress like across the playground or something. And it's like she's like this little nightmare that's going to, you know, it's almost borderline where you're like, if this was Alan Moore, he'd be like writing Kid Miracle Man where this girl on the playground was like crushing like people's skulls or something. (laughs) But it's like, luckily, it's Silver Age enough that it never gets to that point. It's like the the threat of it is there. The insinuation of it is like this little girl's got like Superman's powers and like she's about to like throw this little kid off the playground, you know, off the merry-go-round into orbit. But luckily... Superman and Madman show up and they siphon her power and then it turns into this funny thing of Madman like, you know, sticking his tongue out at the little girl and the little girl sticking her tongue out back and the mother's threatening Madman with a lawsuit and he's like, well, we're going to sue your little girl because she almost murdered us, you know, and, and that kind of thing, which is kind of funny. And all that kind of stuff is great. And, and I, you know, I guess at that point, I think Wizard was really pushing all those. I think they, they called them the legendary imprint at the time, where it was like Alred was doing Madman, and Mignola was doing Hellboy, and John Byrne was doing The Next Men, and Monkey Man and O'Brien was being done by Art Adams, and Frank Miller was doing Sin City. So, like, all those books, I think I was really keen on those, because it, it seemed like the image guys showed these longtime creators the way to do their own thing, and they went about it in a little different way, but I still remember thinking, oh, cool, like, people who actually know what they're doing are going to make their own comics instead of, like, Rob Liefeld or something, you know? So, like, all that stuff was really... I I enjoyed that stuff as, you know, sort of an alternative take to all the sort of event-driven and sort of grim-and-gritty-driven superhero comics of the day. 
you know, for me, I can't recommend Madman enough, and I will continue to do so. I hope everybody else liked Madman. I, I think you guys did. But then uh, I guess we'll move on to our regularly scheduled segment, which is what is awesome in your world this week? And since we haven't heard from him in a while, I'm going to start with Brian. Hey, man, what's up? What's awesome in your world this week? Well, I've had one that I've been saving for a while because I wanted Justin to be on the show when I mentioned it because it is a book, and Justin knows how to read, and that's a cool thing. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> my cool thing this week is actually a book called Eye of the Red Czar. Justin, have you ever read it? No. Okay, well, it's it's sort of an alternative history type of thing, except instead of being like super crazy, like taking AK-47s back to the Civil War or aliens invading World War II, um, it's like kind of just a minor change in history to the point of where it could be something that really happened. Basically, this this book takes place during the time of the Romanovs and you know the great civil unrest in Russia that turned it into a communist nation and overthrew the Tsar and all that. And during this time period, the Tsar has this kind of like investigator, bodyguard type guy named Pekela. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the name right, but that's how it's spelled. But anyway, so this book gives a fictional account of this investigator, basically. And as anyone that knows, you know, basic history, the Tsar and his family were murdered in, um, when the, the communists overthrew Russia. And basically, like, if you've ever heard of the, you know, the story of Anastasia and stuff, there's all this mystery that surrounds the murder of this family. Like, no one knew who did it exactly. There's a big deal over locating the bodies. Supposedly, the Tsar had this, like, secret treasure that he buried and, like, was hidden away and everyone wanted to find it, yada, yada, yada. So um, the book kind of revolves around this investigator. He's sent to Siberia to work and basically, you know, the intention is for him to be worked to death. But being the hero of the story, obviously he's not going to die. He's pretty badass. So he manages to stay alive. Something like 15 years later, the communists come for him. And the, essentially the, the crux of the story is, you know, this guy was the closest person to the Tsar, so they choose him to, like, go back to the, the house where the Romanovs were staying at, investigate what happened, find out who really killed them, you know, find out where their bodies are, and try to find this gold. So I won't give any more of the story away, but I really enjoyed the book because I do like history, and I do like alternative history, and this was, like I said, one of those stories that probably, you know, could have taken place. It wasn't something totally insane. So for me, it was a really fun book to read because, you know, I got I got a dose of my history in with my fiction, and I really enjoyed it. So Justin and probably other fan holes listeners, if you enjoy books, if you enjoy history, you might want to check this book out. It's a pretty good one. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. Like I've I've always been like fascinated like with what happened with Anastasia, like specifically. I remember like watching. Unsolved Mysteries and being like, wow, like I wonder what really happened. And I've read several books mm -hmm. on it, so this is like right up my alley. Yeah, and the cool thing is the author of the book is this guy named Sam Eastland, who I'd never heard of before. I actually got the book at like the Dollar Tree because it was literally a dollar. And I was like, oh, look, look, it's like a history book. I'll read it. But this is like for the investigator Pakela. Like this is just his introductory novel. So, you know, I always like – really long epic stories where, where I can jump in and there's already like four or five books already out and I can keep reading because, you know, I like reading a bunch. If you dig this book, the, the you can read the adventures of Pakela going on in other books as well. So it's a good, good book. That's awesome. As it should be. All right, Mike, what's up? You are up. What is awesome in your world this week, sir? 
Uh, just a little thing. Uh, you guys know, like, I, I follow, like, a lot of late-night television, and uh, this week, uh, Seth Meyers took over the late show, and, uh, it's like, two weeks ago, Jimmy Fallon got the Tonight Show, and, uh, like, I, 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 I like Jimmy Fallon, and he's doing a good job, but, like, I watched, like, all of Seth Meyers this week, and I thought he, it's pretty good. Like, I think he's, he's, he's more of a writer type, like Conan O'Brien was, so I think, like, his material was pretty strong, and, like, he was... He, like, he was nervous at first, but, like, by Friday, it seemed like he had really settled into the role, and, like, he's kind of, like, reading, like, doing the monologue like it was, like, the weekend update from SNL now, so I think, like, he, he's kind of, like, he'll have less of a shaky start or whatever, so, like, I, I think he's pretty funny, and, you know, like, on Friday, he had uh, Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart on, and, like, they were really funny, and, like, uh, like Ian McKellen was like, you know what, like, I don't, I've always wanted to, like, you know, host a uh, a chat show or whatever they call them like in 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 uh britain so like like seth meyers like switched places with him and like patrick stewart ran over to the band and he was like i'm going to be the conductor to the band and, like, <laughs> like, and he was like conducting the band and stuff and, like ian mckellen awesome. was like asking seth meyers questions and it, so is that, that that pretty much patrick stewart's like I will be Ed McMahon. <laughs> Pretty much, right. yeah. He was like, you've never had a conductor to the band, you know. Now you do. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, what do you call it? So, he was pretty funny, and I, I'll probably keep watching him, so. Cool. All right, Justin, you are up. What is your awesome thing of the week? Mine is a movie. I recently watched the Lego movie, and I thought it was really great. I know there's a lot of, like, you know, Lego sets for, like, adults now. It's kind of like a collectible thing, I guess. But, like, I've never really been into Legos since I was a little kid, um, except for, like, maybe buying one or two of those uh, Lone Ranger sets. But anyway, I thought it was really great. It's it's a lot of fun. It kind of, like, goes into that area of uh, making a uh, commentary on, you know, like, what happens when adults take something that was originally designed for kids and they make it to this you know, obsessive thing where they're like, you know, this is mine, and, uh, you know, we're going to do it this way, and I'm going to, like, collect it and do all this, and then the little kids but like, you know, he's like, but I want to play with it, because that's what it's made for, and there's all kinds of, like, little cameos, like, there's some scenes with uh, Superman and Green Lantern and Wonder Woman, and, uh, and Batman's in it, and he's kind of an, uh, an ass, and M- uh, Michelangelo shows does, does up. He, does he ask what the Legos were doing at the dock? <laughs> no, but he... <laughs> He he is kind of a jerk the whole time. You know, anytime like something happens, you're just like, man, Batman, like stop, stop being such a jerk. But it was a lot of fun, and I I really enjoyed it. I think like anybody who like played with Legos or like you know maybe feels a little shame about collecting anything now that they're an adult, like would probably enjoy this. Cool, yeah, I keep hearing great things about that movie. I may I may check it out once it's actually on. You know, I assume the inevitable Blu-ray DVD release will come two or three months down the road, so I probably would check it out then. But maybe by then, it'll be out on our spindle for everybody to check out. So, yeah, I I heard lots of great things about that. I just wanted to give a shout-out to a guy, uh, well, I guess a guy's service, and this is kind of in the toy-related arena for my awesome thing of the week. There's a fellow out there named, goes by the name of Glassman, and he has his own set of custom stuff for people to pick up. He offers a variety of services, and if you just look up Glassman Customs online, and the service that I used for him this time was he he makes custom heads 
for uh, different scales of characters. So I guess if you had characters that you wanted certain parts or heads for in, say, a three and three-fourths inch scale, he could accommodate you on certain levels. And, you know, me, uh, I guess technically now I'm a, a one-twelfth collector or a, you know, you know, a six-inch scale collector with stuff like, you know, the DC Universe Classics and Marvel Legends and stuff like that. And so one of the things he does is he takes the, um, like, hot toys or sideshow, like, detailed head sculpts of characters that they make. And so in his case, he took an Agent Coulson head because, you know, I guess Agent Coulson is the hip and hot character, and you're a loser if you're not watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., according to him. So um, you should all feel bad, I guess. I, I actually am still watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and I feel like a loser. So I don't know I don't know if that's <laughs> good or bad or what. But anyway, you know, I just figured it'd be cool to have a Agent Coulson head sculpt because what I did was, you know, much like on the pictures on the site, one of the bodies he uses it in conjunction with was a movie master's Harvey Dent. And so when I got the head sculpt, you know, I ordered the head sculpt and had it pre-painted. And, you know, you just basically do a simple head swap. You know, I took off the Harvey Dent head and plopped on the Coulson head, and now I've got, you know, a a Coulson that's in a suit that pretty much looks like what he wears on the TV show every week, and that Coulson figure can hang out with all my other movie Avengers, and, you know, he's got other head sculpts that you can do. I did get a Bruce Banner one, but I'm still uh, finding the right body for it that I want to use, and I may need to just make some modifications to the hole so it actually fits on the bodies that I have selected. But with the Coulson one, it was a really easy, simple head swap and fit the body, you know, right away. And I just wanted to give that guy a shout out because it's really quality paintwork and and the sculpt is really awesome. You know, the way he, I guess, transitions it from, I guess, a, you know, uh, a one by six scale to a one twelve scale. You know, it it looks great and it, it works really well. So, yeah, you can check that out, Glassman Customs, if you're interested in any of his stuff. But, yeah, so I guess that wraps us up for the week. So, yeah, make sure you check out Madman Comics if you like listening to us talk about that. And, of course, watch the regular show because it is hilarious. And if you have any comments, questions, suggestions, concerns, if you are you got some angry, angry emails that you need to send my way or anybody else's way, you can send them to fanholespodcast at gmail.com. Just keep in mind, besides this fanholes podcast proper, we've got a bunch of other awesome sideshows and blogs and various different videos and stuff that you can always check out on the site. We've got a wonderful backlog of episodes, so if this is your very first episode you're listening to, you know, go ahead and go to the blogspot, fanholspodcast.blogspot.com, and you can look on the right-hand side, and there's all kinds of backlogs of episodes. You can just download those directly. We are on iTunes, and if you have an iTunes account, uh, we would be most grateful if you would leave us a kind review or, uh, you know, whatever kind of review you want to leave. But, you know, I guess the more reviews we get, the better on iTunes. We are on Stitcher Radio, so that's a cool little app where you can totally just listen to the show, stream it directly, you know, through your Android or 
you know, iPhone or any mobile device. And it's a cool little service. I've used it myself. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So, you know, we got Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Again, you know, so nobody feels left out, you know, just a general thank you to all the, the family and friends who are always, you know, supporting us, whether it's through email or liking us on Facebook or sending us tweets or whatever it is. We appreciate all that support and thank you for listening. So yeah, until the next time, this is going to be Derek. Derek WC signing off. Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. See you dudes later. Hey, it's Mike, and you know who else is signing off? My mom! This is Trash Boat. Police! good with these grilled cheese sandwiches funny internet videos <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're just gonna do the one with that ostrich in its balls again <laughs> no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> that's another thing too is they say balls like really uh tongue-in-cheek a lot like there's one where they're setting up the chairs and they're like man when vincent sees how well we we set up these chairs he's gonna drop his balls <laughs> I like the one where they they eat or or they're they're trying to set up all the hot dogs, but then they get stuck in the freezer, and then the hot dogs come to life, and they're like, "Let us out of here, and we'll show you the way out." But I'm like, I, I like how it's like, yeah, talking hot dogs aren't that much of a trip, but like the the moment for me that was the major trip was when. He squirts the mustard on him, and then the hot dog turns to the other hot dog. It's like, I'm going to eat you now. And, like, <laughs> there's the one hot dog you like, he's eating, and you're like, hmm, I wonder what he's eating. It's like he's eating himself to death, you know? <laughs> it's like all this funny-ass shit.